Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Always good to be with you. Greatly appreciate that. What do we know about the terror attack in Tel Aviv? We're always concerned about this being a sponsored attack, part of a larger network. We know about the issue of incitement. What's the latest about what happened with this mass stabbing on a Tel Aviv bus this week? It's very interesting that there's been very little follow-up uh, reporting, as is usually the case, regarding the background, the history of the guy, where, what, what connections he had. People said that he opened his mother's store, came, then went off and tried to kill people. And by the way, some of them are, are still very seriously uh, hurt and, and in uh, ICU units and in t- intensive care because of the, you know, he stabbed people in the stomach. <laughs> And uh, three or four of them are uh, pretty seriously wounded, several of them very critical. So uh, it's not known. And what, what we have is, is a situation of unpredictability mm-hmm. when somebody can just get on a bus and carry out an attack like that. And people said, well, how is it possible that he could do it? It was a crowded bus, and he just started stabbing people. You, you wouldn't expect it. You're standing on a bus going to work in the morning. It's or coming home at night, and you—it's the least thing you would you would be anticipating. And then he chased the people off the bus uh, and continued trying to, to stab them until he was eventually stopped. But it's uh, you know there are two categories: uh, lone wolves and known wolves. Mm. And uh, the NYPD was uh, the deputy commissioner was telling us that the we've moved from the lone wolf, which is just some individual who is in, inspired by what he sees on the internet. And there are thousands of sites, and if you saw, they give specific instructions, including the PA uh, websites or Internet sites, uh, on how to stab people, how to do it correctly, and how to carry it off. Uh, certainly, you know, Hamas, Hezbollah, IS, all of these guys have, these terrorist organizations have uh, websites and, and instructions online, and they often tell people, don't come here, meaning to Syria to fight, or if it's difficult for you to come, just carry out the attacks at home, and that's what we saw in Paris. Saw it elsewhere. Um, although the the, uh, uh, the attacks of the Charlie uh, attacks were by people, one of whom at least was in Yemen itself and was trained. So you have lone wolves who are people who may not have actually gone to a place to train, or may not be real members, like the attacker on the uh, Jewish supermarket. I think was more likely. Have claimed association with I, uh, with IS rather than having actually been a member or affiliated with them. Uh, they, then you have the known wolves who are people like the guys who, who attacked uh, all three of the attackers in France, who were known to the police. But it takes, I think, ten people, or police officers, intelligence officers, to track one person, and they admitted they just didn't have the resources, and they dropped the surveillance of these people. Unbelievable. It is, you do not feel it's irresponsible for people like Naftali Bennett and other members of the Israeli government to lay blame for an attack like the one in Tel Aviv at the feet of Mahmoud Abbas, right? That's not irresponsible. That's, that's legitimate, correct? I think that it's, uh, it's legitimate to talk about the role of the PA in inspiring violence, in incitement to violence, in justifying violence. And the result is an attack like this. And, and the fact is that they're not rooting him out in the way that they should. There is cooperation between the security forces of the PA and the Israeli security. And 
but we should note that, that that still continues. It's one of the threats they hold over Israel, is that that will not continue if uh, the money doesn't come through, if they don't release the, the money they're holding. Do you believe that the PA helps, in fact, to quell terror attacks? There is cooperation between the security forces that has helped prevent. They often leave it to the Israelis to come in, Israeli forces who often go in at night, as you read, or often don't read, but they arrest known terrorists that they have been seeking. They did it this past week again. Um, the, so there is some cooperation in that, but the, the uh, larger problem is that Abbas and other leaders there justify the violence. When they say al is under siege, they know what the result will be, right. how people will uh, yeah, and, and will be um, aroused and how they will start demonstrating and they will incite them to violence. And so they have, I believe Abbas has to be held to account. I think the U.S. and others have not done enough. The president has raised this issue. We've heard it uh, mentioned. But it's in passing when, in fact, the incitement here and in all of the cases that we see uh, is a critical factor. And when they see the pictures, the beheadings, when we see uh, the uh, appeals to by religious leaders, by others, authority figures, to people to engage in these kind of attacks, and they name the, the targets, United States is a target, Israel is a target, uh, the, the, Europe is a target, and then they don't respond to it, and you don't go to the source of who's responsible, and not only that, who carries it out, not even the organization that is behind it, but who funds them, who aids and abets them. When Qatar does this, they've got to be held to account and not you know, be, be brought in as if they are a legitimate partner. The uh, one of the most important things I want to reiterate is that uh, when there is a lone wolf situation, as this might have been in Tel Aviv, still you, as an analyst, remind everybody that the lone wolf situation came about because of incitement. It's not an isolated episode to the point that there's nobody else to blame and nobody else in the process. The atmosphere is also guilty in that situation. Well, you know, I've said this many times. I'm not really convinced that there are completely lone wolves. Right, it can happen. And you've, we've seen the United States. We have crazy guys who, who you know, load up their homes with with weapons and go and carry off an attack in a school and something else. But in most cases, if not in all, you will find some link to radical literature, to a website, to a imam, to a prison experience, to uh, having been in in Pakistan or Syria or Iraq. It, some connection is always there, right. and. You know, they have to search it out, and it can't be, you can't say, well, it could be indirect instead of direct. But the fact is that there's always something. Generally, people don't go, even crazy people don't necessarily just go out and kill wantonly like, uh, like we saw this week. All right, earlier in the week, there was an airstrike on Syria. Has anybody taken responsibility for it? I thought you, but, uh, <laughs> In terms of officially taking responsibility, no, nobody has taken responsibility. Can you tell us the nature of the attack? I know that there was a revelation this week that in addition to Syrian officials, there were some Iranian officials killed as well. Could you give us an update on what the nature of the attack was? There were no Syrian officials uh, killed. They were Hezbollah officials. Ah, excuse me, right, Hezbollah. Right. Uh, uh, and, uh, it, you know, the distinction is important because it, it right. tells you who's operating in the in the region. So, first of all, there were some very high-value scores on, in this, and people, I guess, from the media, you certainly wouldn't get the full impression. Jihad Munia, who was the son of, Ah- of Ahmed Munia, who was killed by the Israelis, he was the head of the military forces of Hezbollah. This is his son, who's 
taking key role. He was put in charge of the Golan by the by um, uh, Hezbollah, and he was there along with um, I, uh, IRGC, uh, the Iran Revolutionary Guard people, including a very high-profile general whose role it was was to build. Uh, four new Hezbollah missile bases. This is a, he's an expert in ballistic missiles, and we believe that he was there planning, and they were going to show him a strike. And they went to an outpost near the, in the Golan to look at what the, was going to be carried off. And Israel, and perhaps with drones, or, uh, or somebody else uh, who has the capability... Or perhaps Israel... It may be, um, just because I, I know they have drones, I right. mentioned them, uh, that, the, that uh, this is near Kunetra, which those who remember the Six-Day War, and mm-hmm. uh, this is an area now occupied, uh, Kunetra is now, has been occupied by uh, uh, ISIS forces. The border itself is controlled by Syrian rebels. This was a planned attack. Uh, the general... Uh, from uh, the Iranian general was acknowledged by Iran for the first time, something they rarely do because many of their officers were killed in, in the fighting in Syria, some in Lebanon. The fact that the uh, IRGC, the Iran Revolutionary Guard, is acting so publicly, usually they operate behind the scenes because it doesn't want to be seen as if Iran is manipulating this. They have come out now in the open, as they have in other places, including in Yemen and, in, uh, uh, and well, obviously in Iraq, where they're very public, Soleimani takes his, his, his picture taken all over in, in Baghdad, uh, shown with troops, shown engaged in other um, activities. So the implications of this are very great. Of course, people are concerned about what kind of potential backlash uh, there could be uh, from from the uh, the attack. Uh, it is an escalation in a sense, but there is con- increasing concern about the potential for some sort of an action uh, that they were uh, planning uh, a ground attacks, and I warned that the, the new attacks won't be necessary, will be in addition to missiles. Hezbollah's goal is to break through on the ground. There was a, a film released this week by Hezbollah showing uh, or indicating cross-border tunnels, despite the fact that the Minister of Defense of Israel and others have said there's no evidence of it, and I'm not saying that they're wrong, but this film would certainly raise questions uh, about uh, their capacity. And the, the Iranians are and... acting with greater and greater bravado. They showed a picture, the satellite picture, but for the first time they showed a 27-meter-long um, missile, which is a very long missile that could go far beyond Europe, would be able to carry a satellite, but also could carry a, a large weapon. And it was, it's on a launching pad near uh, Tehran. So they're being more blatant, I think, because they see that the West is backing off, that they can get away with it. And they show that they challenge it. Has Hezbollah issued a, uh, a warning of retaliation against this? They have. Yes. And then Israel expects in public statements that Syria and Lebanon are going to be able to control them and, and, and encourage them not to attack Israel? Israel has warned them about the consequences of any action. Israel's preparing. They've beefed up their... No, I understand, but Israel also is citing the Syrian Lebanon leadership and, and with the expectation... Well, not just against Hezbollah. Obviously, they're, they're talking about... You have a confluence of factors, and remember that these guys are fighting each other also, but 
Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran, and Iran Revolutionary Guard, are obviously working together. Iran has invested a lot with Hezbollah. Hezbollah is in, in charge, for instance, of the protection of Damascus. Right. All I'm saying, though, is that if Hezbollah, God forbid, attacked Israel, it, it might be difficult to lay blame at the Syrian government, right? Or not necessarily. Well, they didn't say the Syrian government. It's not. They're not blaming Assad. They have criticized Assad, and Israel has hit Assad. But remember that Assad, Iran, Hezbollah are all one. Yeah, I understand that. It's Hezbollah that keeps him in power. It's Hezbollah that that and and Iran that is providing weapons, and Assad is giving them the cover uh, for doing it. Defense Minister Moshe Alone, Israel will see the government's regimes and organizations beyond its northern border as responsible for what emanates from their territory. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but it does. It sounds a, it sounds a bit more that it's not just Hezbollah, but they're warning the Syrian Lebanon, Lebanese government. Well, they, they, uh, no, it's absolutely I'm right. saying they're warning all of them because it's one: the Hezbollah, the, uh, um, Hezbollah, Iran, Syria, and Assad regime is one. Then you have uh, ISIS, and you have Al Qaeda. And the uh, and the Free Syrian Army, by the way, has been warning about uh, these activities uh, on the part of, uh, of of all of the parties that I mentioned. You mentioned the uh, Iranian uh, presence now and very public presence in Yemen, for instance. Has Saudi Arabia reacted to this? I, I would think that they would be the most uh, um, scared about an, a real Iranian presence in Yemen. Uh, Yemen uh, is the Saudis are the most scared. They've been fighting this proxy battle between Iran and Saudi Arabia through the Houthis, who have now, uh, as we talked about, you know, they took the, the Sana, they marched into Sana without resistance, but now they started challenging the president, who has now who resigned, Mansour Hadi, and uh, his co-government resigned, and essentially they turned over the keys. First, they made a compromise with uh, the Houthis and said. They would power share, that they would amend the Constitution, that they would um, give other concessions. But, of course, for, for these guys, it's never enough. For terrorists and for these for the Islamists, it's never enough. They're never going to honor any deal, which is why so many of uh, uh, those who call for, for negotiations or think that you can deal with them as you would with another democratic power are so wrong. The, the, uh, the guards who were protecting uh, the president fought for two days. The Houthis won. And now they're moving on to the bases that I talked about, I think, a week ago or two weeks ago, where you have long-range missiles, which will give them even a greater capacity to carry out attacks. The, the uh, Iranians move ships to Bab al-Mandab, which is uh, the important straits uh, in, in Yemen, and between Yemen and, and Somalia. The, um, the, act, the nature of activities there in, in Yemen are, are heating up. You have now a division of the country between the Houthis and Al-Qaeda. Two wonderful choices. Wow. Uh, and all this, if you were to analyze it, you know, uh, taking into account the last couple of years, was because of a change in Yemen leadership or because of a, a, a leadership that's now more sympathetic to old guard, you know, Iranian? How, how would you classify why this shift has occurred in Yemen? First of all, because Yemen is not a real country. Yemen is divided by tribe. It's divided north and south. If you remember, they had this unity drive. The President Saleh, who, who was thrown out of office, is leading some of this opposition now from the outside. The, the West put in this president, the United States in particular, invested a lot. We did not back them the way we should have. We didn't help him enough, the whole West, in, in fighting the Houthis. So they were always right for being overtaken. It's just the Iran never made the move beforehand. 
well, they've been fighting, the Houthis have been fighting for years along the, the Saudi border. And many people have been killed. The Saudis have bombed the border. They, they fight across the border, cross over, carry out attacks. You think Saudi Arabia is considering a full-scale war against Iran over Yemen? I don't think that Saudi Arabia feels it's ready for a full-scale war, and especially with the death of the king now, so there'll be a period of transition. When was the death? Today? Yesterday? He died yesterday at the age of 90. Uh, he's Meaning king of Saudi Arabia? The king of Saudi Arabia. He's, uh, he's being replaced by Solomon. Uh, all of these are half-brothers. This is the, they're all sons of uh, Abdulaziz bin Saud. And they're not the type to go in and save Yemen? They, well, they are doing things now supposedly to try and assist. The question is why they didn't do much more. They did fight along the border, but they didn't really have an ally because the Yemeni army has been so weak and um, very little to, to rely on. And again, the strategic importance of the location means that Iran controls the Straits of Hormuz and now the Straits of Ben Bab el As they said, they can put a chokehold on all the shipping, a chokehold on American shipping. The, all the uh, ships coming through the Suez Canal from the Red Sea, the Dead Sea, the, um, uh, what do you call it, the Gulf of, uh, and from the Indian Ocean. A lot of it all transverses these places, including a large part of the oil coming to the West. So this is really a, a much broader uh, significance. Yeah. And it, it, Egypt has warned that it will go to war if they try to close the uh, straits, and they have fought Yemen before. Uh, so it's, it's of, uh, of great concern, and Iran has invested, and it's, again, another example of how they are expanding their influence. Right. This is one of the four Arab capitals that the Khamenei boasted that Iran, that the Shiites today control, and uh, now they're working on Libya, and they're working in Sudan. They're expanding their influence all the time, and while we're all focused on the nuclear uh, aspect, rightly, uh, in fact, Iran is engaged in all sorts of nefarious activities, and the West seems to be quiet about it. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Special welcome to those tuned in on the NSN app around the world. Much appreciated. You can comment on the app at any point during our show. And yes, I, and, and Malcolm just set me up for the sanctions question. Don't worry, folks. We're going to get to sanctions in a minute and, and the whole BB Congress uh, President Obama thing. But just one last question. I know, I, you know, be patient with me for a moment. But if someone from Yemen said to you that the big picture, the even bigger picture than what you just described, Malcolm, is that Iran wants to eventually take over everything in the Middle East, and the way to take over Saudi Arabia, such a valuable large piece of the Middle East, is through Yemen. You would say that's a that's a crazy theory, or in fact. You know, as you've described many times, the enemy has so much patience that they are thinking many, many decades ahead. They're not just thinking. That's exactly what they're doing. And they've been doing it for a long time. And I described it here for, for months, saying it's exactly what they're doing. They're operating against Saudi Arabia on two fronts. One is in the eastern province of Khatib, where you have a large Shiite population in Iran has been instigating, sending weapons, and trying to... There's been violence. You don't read about a lot of what happens there, but the Saudi government has cracked down on it and, and trying to fight them from inside. They're active in Bahrain, and part of the reason they want Bahrain is because it's 14 miles across the waterway to, to Katif and to be able to attack Saudi Arabia. 
uh, in the religious sites in Saudi Arabia make it uh, even more juicy a target. Uh, certainly the oil does. Uh, Iran will run out of oil in the coming decades, so the, the, that is of great importance. Um, and then they operated out of Yemen, and they've been carrying on this war of attrition and this hot war often against Saudi Arabia from Yemen, and they are and, and they keep testing and pressing because they see where they meet resistance from the West. You know, remember the United States uh, reacted when the USS Cole was bombed in Yemen. Mm. Uh, we have supplied weapons. We do have advisors there. The United Nations has uh, set up there. And they've been warning. The United Nations guy, who's a really remarkable uh, man, has been warning openly and giving testimony, telling exactly what's happening. And you give the testimony, and that's where it ends. In the Saudi Arabia versus Iran match, the UAE is on whose side? UAE is with Saudi Arabia. And Oman? Oman is a good question. It's essentially with the UAE as part of it, but they uh, they flirt with uh, Iran, do trading with Iran. Uh, Bahrain is with um, Saudi Arabia, Egypt with Saudi Arabia. And Qatar, because they've been in the news in terms of the terrorist sponsorship. Well, Qatar is playing a, an independent bad role. Kuwait? They're another factor where they've been supporting a lot of the terrorist organizations. And they've been, uh, they're very anti-Saudi Arabia. And the Arabs call it a country built on a television station, meaning Al Jazeera. Right. Right. They hate the Qataris. The new emir that we thought would be better, in fact, the young guy was worse. And uh, so, uh, what about Kuwait? Uh, Kuwait is with Saudi Arabia. You know, <laughs> it's great to do this segment with a map in front of me. I mean, Dubai, which is this big tourist destination, and, and certainly one of the richest parts of <laughs> rich isn't tied to you. you. One of the richest parts of the world, am I right? I mean, it's one of the biggest yeah. economies in the world, and, and it's right next door to Iran. Like, it's right there. There it is. Well, you have. You have a lot of Iranians. They, they operate out of there. It's one of the places they try to bypass the sanctions. UAE, uh, Dubai is obviously part of the UAE, right. and United Arab Emirates, and they they are very anti-Iranian. All right, if I don't get the sanctions, I'm going to uh, <laughs> have a lot of people very angry. President of the United States, State of the Union, it sounded to me like... Uh, he will not endorse any increase of sanctions against Iran, number one, good idea or bad idea, and number two, good idea or bad idea to share this with the world. Well, this was a political message, obviously, and he, he has been very open about his opposition, that is the president, uh, to the initiative. Uh, Kirk Menendez, who and Senator Menendez, a Democrat, has been incredibly courageous, as have others, in continuing to fight because they do it on the basis of principle. They say, look, if it made sense that sanctions brought the Iranians to the table, yep. the threat of new sanctions would be stronger. And they're saying, no, if you bring more sanctions, you will the, uh, the uh, Iranians will have an excuse to walk away, the uh, Europeans will break the sanctions, and, um, uh, and, and all of the efforts and the, the prospects of coming to a deal. They say, you know, that there's been some progress, there's been uh, limited progress uh, so far. Uh, Reminder, deadline is now June 30th. And we can, well, you have two deadlines. One was supposed to be now in March about the, the three-month deadline and then the six-month deadline. Uh, there are talks going on. Secretary Kerry met with the Foreign Minister Zarif of, of Iran. Plus, you have the negotiations going on in Europe going on over the last few days. And... Uh, they, they mix signals come out. They say we're close, we're not close. Different ministers have made conflicting uh, statements. 
So it's very hard to, to know where the real truth is, but um, uh, we are at a critical stage, and the members of Congress, um, the, the bills could pass Congress. The problem is could they withstand an override of veto, which means that you need 67 members, meaning that you need many Democrats to join the Republicans to support the legislation. And others say, well, there may be other ways that you can adopt it. There are different formulations that are being considered. Um, we'll have to see also, we haven't seen the exact language yet of Kirk Menendez, but the principle of what he's saying is the same that he has been saying all along about why they believe this is important and mm-hmm. will strengthen the hands of the negotiators. What we didn't realize is that at the same time, Israeli intelligence, uh, the Mossad, um, also is encouraging not to uh, levy more sanctions against Iran. No, they didn't say not to. He, what he, he was the, there was a congressional dele, senatorial delegation in Israel. They met with the head of the Mossad, and as best as I can figure it out, they uh, the head of Mossad was asked a question. You know, the, we're told that this the Iranians will leave or will abandon the talks if uh, if new sanctions are placed. And he said, yes, it's possible. You know that they would leave. He's now backed off of it and said that's not their position. Uh, as you know, the Prime Minister has been very strong on this as well. He strongly supports additional sanctions and the, and the initiatives, um, which is one of the reasons why his potential visit to the, or his expected visit to a joint, to do a, a joint session of Congress speech, um, it's so, is additionally controversial. The, uh, uh, so the, the legislation is there. They're working on different drafts. The best thing would be if the administration Congress could work out some sort of a joint approach. You don't want to be split on this. You don't want to send a message to the Iranians that we're, that we're split. And Well, when you negotiate with each other in front of the whole world, like, and that, that's like the happened. That's problem, is yeah, exactly. this is all being done. In, in a, when would that uh, speech, first of all, I, you'll, we'll talk about the protocol of it in a minute, because I know it became a big issue in Washington, but uh, when is the speech scheduled? Before the uh, Israeli election? Yes, it's now scheduled for March 3rd. Originally, they were talking about a February speech, and now they're talking Two about weeks March before 3rd. he would come in here to the U.S. to, um, maybe it'll help his campaign. I like the administration. Uh, the, uh, there would be two weeks before because of the APAC conference oh, right. taking place then. So he would come to speak there, and in conjunction with that, he would speak at the joint session. There are many members who think maybe they should put it off till after the elections in Israel or whatever, work out something. And he said, uh, the prime minister put out a statement saying that he's not coming here to criticize. He's coming here to thank the president, to thank the Congress for their support both Republicans and Democrats. How did the protocol work out here? Boehner should not have gone ahead and invited him with the president, uh, without the president's approval. Is that what the issue was? Well, one of the issues they said was that the that the prime minister, in responding to the invitation, did not consult or talk to the White House about coming. The president has announced he won't meet with Netanyahu because it's his policy not to meet right before elections with the leaders who are candidates. So it shouldn't look like he's interfering <laughs> in the election. <laughs> because who in the White House would ever think of it? Nobody would even dare. They wouldn't. That's Have you seen any of the commercials, the election commercials in Israel? Yes. I mean, I know the ones here are bad, and you know, and they are worthy of most of the adjectives that people apply to them. But I don't know. It's a special brand over there. It's just I don't know. <laughs> <There's> some... <laughs> well, they had a picture. They had one that Netanyahu did in a kindergarten, and telling Tippy to sit down. Right. And, and, and they, Even that, I don't think... They would, ruled it out. They ruled that he couldn't show it. Yeah, but now today everything goes viral anyway. That's true. 
I didn't realize that that was declared illegal because I was saying to myself, that type of commercial here, I don't think would ever find favor in the eyes of the voters. I think they'd hate a commercial like that. Are people traveling to Israel to vote? Are you getting a feeling that there's going to be a mass exodus for a couple of days or it's not that type of election this time around? I don't think it excites people. I don't think people see, you know, the that you've seen in the past sometimes such strong conviction. There is BB fatigue that is natural after many years. They look at the other candidates and they say there's no leader like him. Or they say we got to get anybody but Netanyahu, and that's why you see Labor and Likud so close with Labor ahead right now. But the question is not who's ahead. The question is who can form a coalition. Right. It is important about who gets the nod from the president. It usually goes to the, to the party with the most uh, seats if they can show that they can cobble together uh, a, a, a 61-vote combination. And uh, right now that favors Netanyahu, but it's possible religious parties will be very key in that. As uh, Once time comes, we have to see how the final numbers work, because, as you know, Israelis tell the truth to the pollsters, and then they lie at the polls, so it's very unpredictable. Have you seen these billboards, the campaign against the New York Times, slanted against Israel? Have you noticed any of those? Of as well, they're at the New York Times, across the street from the New York Times. Oh, it's across, I didn't even realize there's one across the street. I know, that, I know there's one downtown that I saw. Uh, what's your feeling with a public uh, uh, advertising campaign like that uh, designed against the New York well, Times? One of our member organizations, so... I, uh, um, I mean, I think putting them on notice, and because every other attempt to, to get the New York Times to at least be objective, right. and not to have all of this distorted uh, reporting... Um, this is a way of, of embarrassing them and, and putting them on notice. Last week and the week before, we spent a lot of time, especially in light of what had happened in Paris, uh, talking about security about uh, you know synagogues and uh, even any noticeably uh, you know small establishment, retail establishment in our area and any area of the United States, and how important it is to secure. Are you getting a response? Are you getting the feeling out there that people are taking this more seriously over the last couple of weeks? Absolutely. And we had a, a training session at the, here that Blanbush Jewish Community Council did. We had sessions with the police department. Uh, the police have been convening meetings. They're having people go out to do training, scan the secure community network, sends people out. They're getting bombarded with requests, unfortunately, from all over the world, but uh, the New York area in particular. And I hope that every yeshiva is working on it and will get people to do security assessments and will think about steps that they can take. We have recommendations that they train their teachers for lone shooter incidents. Uh, every school, no matter what, nobody's immune, as we have seen, and that they really have to take seriously uh, what is happening. And it, it can be anywhere at any time. And the, whole, the goal of it is deterrence so that you know, they'll go someplace else. It's not that you can prevent, the school can't prevent terrorism but a school can determine from attacking. And finally, um, the, the, the footbridge to the Temple Mount, the Harabayat, is it ever going to be completed? Does it sit in some type of political bureaucracy? Is that the reason why this construction can never end? Uh, what is the status of that bridge that so many of us are familiar with that heads up to the Temple Mount? Uh, the Mugrabi. And it's uh, it's being held up because you have first of all the Palestinians have contested it, and they say this is an attempt for the and and the Waqf, uh, which controls the the top of the Harbayat. Dayan turned over the keys to them in '67, if you remember. Um, they are holding it up because it became very controversial, and you had international organizations. You went everybody going, inspecting, checking. 
It's, in fact, just replacing what was there. It's, it's not hooked up. It, it, the the uh, infrastructure is there. It could be done. And it has uh, essentially been postponed and postponed and postponed, uh, though the you know the archaeological work that's finished and the it, it had to be replaced because of for, for safety reasons. Uh, one of the things that we have to talk about, though, which I know a lot of people have been calling me and emailing me about the Nisman affair in Argentina. We have a minute uh, left because this is really a very broad significance, and it ties into all the other things we talked about. That South America is also a place where Iran and its operatives are active. He was what the prosecutor in the case. He was the prosecutor. He's been working for many years, trying to bring to justice those responsible for the deaths of 85 people at the Amia, the Jewish Community Center. Uh, many of them not even Jewish, but uh, and hundreds who were wounded. Uh, in addition to the attack on the Israeli embassy in Buenos Aires, this is a, a, a very significant thing. He did not kill himself. This is murder, and they will find uh, a lot of evidence. We know that there were footprints outside. We know that the, you know they kept saying the doors were locked. It's not true. There was another entrance that was not locked, and, the, and there are plenty of ways. There was there's uh, a, a lot of other stuff that I can't say on the air, but but evidence that this is he had ten policemen guarding him. Uh, the gun wasn't his. Then they said it was an associate who gave him, and then they found that there was no uh, powder marks on his hand from from the shot. The uh, this is a remarkable man whom I hosted in New York. He he was courageous, and that day he was to give testimony in Congress that would have named Kirshner, the president of Argentina, Timmerman, the foreign minister, as having been making a deal for oil from Iran in exchange for immunity for the suspects in the attack that include uh, Larjani, the former uh, prime minister, uh, Ratsanjani, rather, the former prime minister, Bahidi, the former uh, foreign minister and a guy named Mohsen Rabani, who was the cultural attaché. They have tapes of his conversations with uh, Argentinian officials. It's a 297-page report. This is really significant, and Nisman was a hero. The Jewish community there is so shaken up by this. It is almost like the attacks in, in France in terms of their impact on uh, on people. And Mohsen Rabani, we believe, co- helped coordinate the, the, the bombings. There's plenty of evidence, and... You know, that's just before he was going to testify, something he's been building up to for a long time. And is is uh, clear that this was not uh, a suicide, but a, a murder in order to prevent this information from getting out. <sighs> Unbelievable. Uh, more next week with our weekly update, Fridays at 7.40. Malcolm, have a wonderful Shabbos. Good thank Shabbos, you for- everybody. There you go. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations.